0: The Float Your Boat Podcast, about how everyday people created their road to success. The highs, the lows, pitfalls and potholes, and how they overcame it all. And now, here are your
1: hosts. So, welcome to our studio, James.
0: Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Gee, that was good, George.
1: Sorry.
0: It was very efficient. Good.
1: Go. So, welcome to our studio, James. It's a pleasure having you here. Thank you. Are you waiting for me to say something? Well, yes, generally you chime in with a question. Oh, okay. I do the intros, you ask the first question. <laughs> so,
0: James. No question. Where do we start with well, James? Look, jo- look James, and
1: I, James and I were having a conversation before we pressed the record button and that was around, you know, the oversubscription of UK people within the Surf lifesaving community, right? And, and James well. is an example of that. Yeah. I am, I am. A
2: pretty standard, typical...
1: Well, what's that all about? We're overloaded with pommies.
2: Well, I think the eastern suburbs are a beautiful place and Brits know a beautiful place when they see one. So if you're going to be out here in Australia or either here for the bush and the countryside or the wine regions or the beach, I reckon, then mm. yeah. people will find their way to that kind of environment. So Bondi's a beautiful beach. Lots of Brits love it here. So, Same as you find lots of Aussies in the really... Really interesting bits of London, right?
1: The interesting bits or the rundown bits? Wow!
2: <laughs> <laughs> interesting, interesting. What the what oh, the yeah. listeners at home can't see is the little <laughs> finger air quotes are interesting. So. And
1: I must, I must say you've done very well to protect your lily white skin. because ah. yeah, because you're not um, you. I mean you. Looking good. Uh, you're not, you're not, you haven't been flattery. Bur- I Love mean, it. you haven't been burnt to a crisp.
2: I have. And you're not looking I leathery. Have, but <laughs> I, uh, I, I take the warnings in the Surf life saving Manual about sun protection very seriously. Right. And all the folks in the club with um, you know, skin cancer that's been removed and things, and uh, I'm a, a delicate flower of, of sort of Anglo-Irish, English Scottish combinations, right? So, yeah, blue eyes, and, and they sort of are all risk factors. So I'm always, almost always wearing a hat, almost always slapped with sunscreen. Have done ever since I turned up. Yeah, I know
1: it gives you it gives you uh, um, uh, food for thought to to notice all the old blokes or the old salts in the club that they're they're having things cut out. Yeah, now so it didn't it doesn't augur well
2: for someone with white white. Well, this is it. You just gotta you just gotta get used to wearing it every day and uh, make sure that you're covered up. And I found that on patrol, for instance, when we're on the beach, um, I've. Got some sort of cheap leggings from a, from a clothing store, you know, like running compression yep. leggings. Yep. Uh, and that helps keep the sun off as well and make sure I've got a rash vest on and I've got a hat on. And uh, mm. I don't look as cool as the rest of my patrol because I have the kind of classic Aussie round cricket style hat. And they've all got these very cool baseball hats saying so surf rescue on the mm. side, but you know, Mate, I can live you're, with that. You're, you're being prudent.
1: So <laughs> yeah. now, now let's go back to Devon.
2: Yes, sure. <laughs> you
1: have the quintessential uh, English accent, right? We were talking about you know the very variety of accents in sure, in, yeah. in the UK. That's because your parents were
2: from Devon. Well, no, they, but they were teachers. Oh, they were right? teachers. Sorry, so, <laughs> yes. and, and
1: you moved around a lot.
2: Yes, we did. Mum was a primary school teacher, and Dad was a secondary school teacher, um, which uh, I think was a huge, huge help. That's why I think I learned to read in the first place was because they were patient and kind and took the time to help me out. Uh, and it, it really was a bit of a, a tough old battle And uh, eventually kind of caught up and overtook And went to uni and moved on from there So yeah, it's very so, normal
0: So brothers and sisters?
2: One one older sister uh, oh. who looks a lot younger than me And she's got looks and the charm and, and so on oh. and, and the brains and I got the height basically <laughs> That's the way I put it
0: Oh no, I think you got the charm as well, James
2: <laughs> No, she's she's terrific So um, she's really why I came to Australia um, Oh, she's so, here? Yeah, yeah, so she moved to Sydney... Uh, I guess about uh, eight, nine, ten years ago now. Uh, and at the time I was working in the US. Um, and so at the end of my time in the US, uh, before I went off to business school, I came to Sydney for five weeks um, just to take a really kind of long decompression holiday before going and studying for a year. And my sister, uh, bless her, did a real cell job on me. So she packed me off to Cairns to go to the Barrier Reef and snorkel with a little fish. Uh, which I think has turned me into an ardent environmentalist, <laughs> which is probably quite good. Yep. Uh, she sent me off to, to the daintree. She sent me off to. She basically arranged this huge tour. She stayed in Sydney and then she came and met me uh, in Alice Springs, and, and we sort of finished off the tour from there. And that was basically the best possible sell job for me because it, it showed me all these beautiful parts of Australia, and I kind of created what I call the Captain Kirk scale. So if you because the landscape was just so nuts and just so extraordinary, and and the animals were so amazing that if you could sort of mentally imagine Captain Kirk and Mister Spock wander around in it and it looked like one of those sets then it was kind of impressive as opposed to you know yeah, right. any, anything normal so um yeah after after business school I was given an offer to come here and moved here and uh, I'm very happy to say I got my citizenship letter finally uh I moved here in 2011 I got it two weeks ago damn the so one got waiting food. waiting for the ceremony to go and uh, swear the oath and sing the song and you know You couldn't couldn't get much more
0: Aussie than than doing your bronze medallion and becoming a a patrol captain,
2: really, could you? I'm, I'm very lucky.
0: So how did so how did that all come about how did it come about? How, how did you find your way to Bondi Surf Club and
2: well so <laughs> so when I first moved here I was a, I was a strategy consultant I was traveling a lot. Um, I was basically away eighty percent of the time from Sydney and my sister was very kind and let me stay with her in between and that worked pretty well because um, that helped me settle in and I would really split my time between Manly and Bondi and I didn't really know very many people in Australia at that point um, and I always have, would take my wallet on my phone and I would go over and go swimming because I love swimming. I've always loved swimming. Uh, love being in the sea, love the warm water and all this kind of stuff. Um, even in the winter, it's still warm for me, which is, which is mm. nice. Uh, and so I would go to either Manly or Bondi. And Manny really was where I learned to surf. So I bought a bodyboard, I think, on the first weekend. I was given strict instructions not to buy any sports equipment by my sister <laughs> while I lived in her flat. And, of course, I bought a bodyboard the first week. And I think I bought my first surfboard maybe a month after that. And I oh, still was got she it. happy with
1: you, was she? Oh, happy? she
2: was delighted. <laughs> you can you can hide a surfboard down the back of the sofa. So she oh, didn't spot you? it for a couple of days. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah really. but she found it. <laughs> and I was, uh, you yeah, know, she was very nice about it, but I was uh, in a little bit of hot water. So yeah, so Bondi at the time had automated lockers, which meant that because I didn't really know anyone, I could come down and go for a run on the uh, the coast path, uh, which is a beautiful, beautiful run. And that's actually what I did this morning before I came in. And uh, I could just stick my stuff in the locker and then go out for a bodyboard or a swim. uh, And that was fine. Whereas at Manly, I couldn't do that. And so I got more used to, even though Manly was actually easier to get to, I got more used to coming to Bondi on my own. Basically, and so I got used to Bondi's beach, Uh, and then my sister bought a place, moved out of the old apartment. I I think she was fed up with having me on the sofa and the the, you know the pull-out bed as her (laughs) no good, a younger brother sort of thing. And so uh, I moved finally to my own apartment in Bondi, uh, settled into a more permanent role, and and so was here more often. Um, And she basically said, "Well, you're always at the beach anyway," which was true, right? Saturdays and Sundays, I was always always playing in the surf. Um, You might as well get involved and do something. Why don't you? Why you give being a lifesaver a try? Because I'd seen them on the beach. I didn't really understand how you got to be a lifesaver. Uh, I certainly didn't really understand the distinction between lifeguards and lifesavers. Um, and so actually someone at work uh, did their bronze medallion while they were still a strategy consultant over in Perth. And I kind of scratched my head a bit and was like, well, how on earth did they fit that in? Because that was a very full-on job hours-wise. How on earth did they find the time to do all that? Well, if they can do it, then it must be possible. So... Um, I actually got stuck in at the end of 2013, signed up for the bronze. Uh, there's a little bit more to the story about how I ended up at Bondi, but I won't bore you that bit. Uh, and took my swim test. And to your point about lots of Brits in the surf club, half of the class were British uh, and the other half were Aussie and there were no other nationalities, which now I'm a little older and wise. I know it's a little bit strange, a little unusual. Um, and they were just super, super people. And I think life It's not is
1: unusual there. when you understand that... Um most cultures around the world, um, they they don't have an ethos of, of um, swimming or being mm. at the, being at the beach or in the ocean. Like even surprisingly, Greeks don't know how to swim very well. Huh? Didn't yeah. know that. Surrounded by water, but it's just culturally not. They'll go in for a dip, and of course, in in the Aegean, there's there aren't any rips or big waves. Really, there, there can be big waves, but even the little ones. Um, um, scare the hell out of most Greeks. Huh, yeah. Right, so they're they're not sure how to tackle that kind of environment, so they stay away from it.
0: No, but they can tackle the goats, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: the
0: I little mean, ones, especially. <laughs> I
2: was thinking, I was thinking, i thinking more Uzo, Uzo, right?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, after a few Uzos, uh. can,
2: Well. <laughs> Whatever. No, I, I can see. So, so people listening probably won't realise that you two are sitting quite a long way apart. This is so you can't whack each other when you,
0: when you tease each That's other. That's why we keep it, yeah. Yeah. A safe distance.
2: So yeah, so uh, 2013, did my bronze, uh, qualified, left BCG, uh, got a proper grown-up job fairly soon afterwards. Um, no question in my mind whatsoever that uh, if I hadn't done it, I don't think I'd still be in Australia. Right, because um, it gave me, I think, a community of like-minded people that were not selfish people. If that makes sense. So lifesavers. Yep. Yeah, of course we all have our moments, but mm. um, definitely I do. But uh, mm. they're they're pretty giving. Like they do genuinely care. They're there because they want to help. Oh, well, why else would you? Why else would you do it? Really? Absolutely. And it's. Um, but they're also sporty. They're also quite positive people, I yep. think. And and so I think that really that was the right kind of community and the right kind of mindset for me personally. So. Um, I got involved, started patrolling, uh, I trained my first bronze group, I didn't actually realise you could kind of train a bronze group straight after your bronze type thing, so uh, I waited till the next season, put my hand up, Um, and so I've always done what's called the icebreaker group, which starts in September, that's the first one. Um, basically, it's still kind of winter <laughs> when you start Yes, an Australian winter, not a British winter. So, you <laughs> know, it's still it, it's, kind of... It's
1: like a British summer, right?
2: <laughs> to be fair, actually, the water temperature where I grew up... So we have a beautiful beach where I grew up. Yeah. Um, actually, Devon really is uh, one of the most beautiful places on, on the planet. Um, and we have beautiful sandy beaches, which always surprises Australians. But they mm. do exist. If you've been to Brighton and just seen the <laughs> Stony Beach, we do have nice <laughs> sandy but, ones You're talking too. about Devon, right? The Devon, park. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Our, our, my hometown beach, we have a lot of iron oxide in the rocks, and so it's red. Well, right, which is kind of interesting, mm. um, but it's a very nice sandy beach, and um, the water temperature I think in midsummer will peak at about sixteen centigrade. Right. Peak, peak. Whereas of course, as you guys will know, in Bondi in winter it will drop to maybe at most fifteen. Mm. So now I've got my and that's Aussie. cold. Yeah, so now I'm technically going to be an Australian. I'm allowed to perhaps wear a wetsuit in midwinter, but otherwise I never do. I'm just in speedos or a rashi or. So when you were over there you swam in the winter as well? I swam in the pools. In Very the pools. rarely swam in the in the water. But it, the pools it, it were, were cold as well, right? Uh no, they're okay. They're okay. They're about they're the I, I would say they're about the same as you'd expect in the Mozilla oh, public okay. pool. Okay. Um but no we, we tend to I did a lot of swimming at high school. Um and I played water polo and things. Um but Swinging in the sea, yeah, it wasn't such a cultural thing. To your point, the water's a lot colder. It's changed a bit. Surfing's taking off a lot more. I mean, it's been there since, since the 70s, um, actually, and especially in North Devon and Cornwall and now even Scotland and there are electrically heated wetsuits and you get some amazing breaks. Um, but I really learned to surf in Australia, actually, mainly.
0: So what temperature would it get down to in winter in Devon? Not sure, but, but very cold.
2: Oh. very cold. Like um so there's something called the Boxing Day Dip, which is quite a nice little tradition. It's a kind of a charity charity thing on the twenty sixth December after Christmas, oh. day after Christmas. Um it and must an, be cold. It's perishing cold, like freezing cold. And um people get dressed up in fancy dress and go charging in. You've basically got to get the the game is you've got to run down to the water, get fully immersed. And survive. And that's basically, <laughs> that's basically oh, it. Raise as oh, much money and as you can. Like then of course, <laughs> and then, of course,
1: have some rapid-fire drinks afterwards.
2: I wouldn't possibly comment. I feel like the <laughs> Brits, are, Brits are known for occasionally enjoying a drink or two. That's
0: true. So, so do, you, do, you ha- did you have, do they have lifeguards on?
2: So, so we have something called the RNLI, Royal National Lifeboat Institution, um, which is really more about sort of rescuing people from... Um, ships that are in right. trouble, and that's been around for, for hundreds of years. It's a volunteer-funded organisation, a bit like Surf Life Saving Australia in a way. Um, they do run, uh, I understand, lifeguard services at some beaches. Some councils, I believe, also have lifeguards mm. uh, paid. There isn't really a Surf Life Saving volunteer moving in quite the same way. So as far as I know, those two institutions mm. are, are sort of how, how the beaches get looked after. And there's a, there's a fairly strong okay. Coast Guard as well to, to do sort of cliff rescues and things like that.
0: So uh, moving forward now to, to this year, you're you, being a patrol captain. How long have you been patrol captain? For? So
2: this we're going to the end of my second season as patrol captain of uh, the Mighty Craven, right. very, very proud of them. They're my uh, unbiased, of course, favorite patrol. Uh, there are some other very good ones, which I have occasionally moonlighted to, to help out, but um, yeah. no, they're my favorites, I'm, I'm really fond of them. They're a great bunch.
1: So I've often wondered about these silly
2: names that they come up with.
1: (laughs) So how do they come about?
2: Well, Craven is actually named after Mr. Craven. He was a a real person um, and a very impressive lifesaver indeed. So all of those patrols are named after a notable lifesaver of yesterday actually. Right. And we just uh, we just had a little bit of fun with putting The Mighty in front of it.
1: I'm assuming that, uh, that everyone in the group und- um, understands the history of Mr Craven.
2: I doubt it. I, I was going to say, <laughs> I, let me say, I hope so. So it is...
1: So a- they don't go through a, a, like a um, historical <coughs> induction...
2: I've talked to some of them about it. So so when you get your patrol roster, there's a little bit of a biography about the person that right. the patrol's named after. I think I think there's one called Bulldock that's Baldock, named after Cyril Baldock. Yep, yep. Um, but he's still alive. He is People still alive and, and a lovely guy he is too. And uh, so it's, it's sort of a physical manifestation in the yep. of, of uh, the spirit. One of the
0: few left, I guess. Yep. Really? Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: yeah. So um, when you get your patrol roster at the start of your season, there's a the bio, not everyone necessarily pays a lot of attention to it. It's not something you read very deeply, but most people will read it uh, when they get it the first couple of times, just out of interest. Um, And I have sort of mentioned it a little bit to people because it kind of gives people a little bit of a sense of heritage and Mm. and where those names come from and and the culture of the club a bit as well. Um, Because it is genuine. I believe it is the oldest surf club in Australia. Mm. And it is actually a bit of a cultural institution. It is actually quite a privilege to be part of, really. Um, and uh, I have to say that even in my sort of five-ish years, six-ish years of being involved, I think it's getting better and better and stronger and stronger, um, which is wonderful. And, and I think the numbers are going up of lifesavers and people patrolling, which is superb. So, you know, really mm. very proud to very proud to be given the opportunity to be patrol captain at all mm. of any patrol and very proud of the people that are on my patrol because they are really first rate and they really do... They are very diligent they really do care. Uh, their skill levels are getting better and better. So we're having more fun. So,
1: so any of you, <clears throat> so so when you're talking to your mates back in the UK, <laughs> right. do you kind of tell them like, yeah, hey, I'm a surf, surf. Ah, tanker. well,
2: so I I uh, I normally tell people here because they will ask and say, oh, you live at Bondi, do you do life saving Or yeah, you know, it, it'll come up more frequently. Folks in the UK don't necessarily know. Uh, they'll watch Bondi Rescue, mm. um, but uh, it doesn't have the same cultural. Um, Awareness, I suppose, but uh, I just tell people I got given a very large and very impressive hat when I became patrol captain, (laughs) just about fits my ego into, which is you know, no easy task. Uh, Sadly, it's not actually true. As patrol captain, you get the same gear, but (laughs) you know, once upon a time, you used to get a kind of snazzy shirt with patrol captain written down the left arm. Oh,
1: it doesn't happen
0: anymore.
2: No, no, once upon a time, you got them.
0: I don't know why, I don't know, I don't know the answer to that. Maybe, um, I'll. I'll, I'll have to try speak to and bring the, that back in. I'll have to speak to the merchandise guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the merchandise
2: guy. Yeah. If only you knew someone who had, yeah, I don't know, had, say had corporate a, empire yeah, that, yeah. Like, that can do really yeah. fantastic merchandising. I'll have to you, go away and think about I wonder, that. I wonder who that might be. Right? <laughs> so,
0: James, apart from being a patrol captain and being a proud member of the club, you do other activities within the club, like the beach tech stuff, right? Yes. So, tell us about that, because that's a something that if everybody's listening to this which hopefully they will be you know they might get involved.
2: Sure so um, that's we've just started we're going up mm-hmm. for our second one uh, in two weeks uh, third one's sort of penciled in for, Jan- uh, for June um, and the thingy was I've been in a professional context I've been doing a lot more around tech and startups for the last few years actually and um, realized that Basically, when you're standing on patrol and, and sort of watching the water and, and dealing with things, um, you tend to get chatting about things. And, and there were a fair few people in the club in particular that had backgrounds in tech and startups and were doing some very interesting work. And um, they weren't necessarily aware of what other people in the club were doing. And that seemed a little bit of a shame. And so the thought was to try. So I was having those conversations sort of one on one. The question was, how could we kind of make that a little bit more scalable, and a little bit more open to everybody? Um, and I, I should fess up, I was also social secretary for the club for a while, so quite I like organising parties and things. Um, so had a chat with the current social secretary uh, who's who's very kind of supportive and goy and said, uh, why don't we put on some talks uh, by members for members sort of thing and, and try and make it into something that's a little bit prestigious, a little bit of a vehicle to, to sort of say thank you to people and give them a bit of exposure for what they're working on mm. um, and give them the chance to share their work with the audience and um, the re- feedback. We did the first one, we did 10 talks in 10 minutes. Um, basically, people volunteered to say, Hey, I'd be happy to do a talk. We tried to make it five minutes of talking and then five minutes of QA to try and mm. let the audience shape it to the point where it was useful for them and valuable to them. Uh, most people are a bit like me and quite chatty, and so it was more like eight minutes of, of uh, presentation and two minutes of questions, if you're lucky, sort of thing. Um, but we all had a really good time. Um, I pitched the startup I'm working on at the moment, and and my friend uh, very kindly donated the coffee, so we got some really great coffee in there as well, which is lovely, um, and it was really well received. So mm. uh, we had a, quite a lot of people who had sort of put their uh, hand up to be a speaker, and of course we could only take ten, so we put the second ten together for Beach Tech Two, and then we've put the next ten together for Beach Tech Three. Yeah. Um, so we've basically got sort of a pipeline of speakers. Uh, This time around, the first one, because it was an experiment, the club was really nice and and basically said we could have the downstairs hall, which is big enough, and the TV to present slides on. Um, And we tried to keep it all sort of as an informal and minimum viable product as we could and just see if there was demand. Um, Demand was good, so this one we've sort of opened it up to other surf lifesavers from other clubs, and we've told the social secretaries at the other eastern suburbs clubs because we kind of cooperate on things like the bar hop and stuff like that. Um, and so hopefully we'll, we'll have some folks come along and word will spread and we'll see, it may get bigger and bigger and, and so on. But the goal is really to give people a platform because being a so fly saver, you do give up a lot of time and volunteer. Yeah. Um, it isn't paid. It is a, it's a volunteer organization, as, as you guys will know, but this is maybe not. Um, and so it's kind of nice to do things to help people out if you can. And I think people made some pretty useful connections just in terms of education. I mean, the other thing I really like about the club is you've got all walks of life, all sorts of uh, professional spheres. You've got uh, students coming through who are just finishing uni- uh, high school or starting uni. You've got people who are retiring. There's the full spectrum. And it's actually been really interesting to sort of see some of the conversations that have really helped people think through where they'd like their career to go. And, and that's really lovely. So, so yeah, looking forward to it. So if if...
0: If somebody from another clubs listening to this, because we hope that this podcast goes out to lots of people. Yep. How? What do they do to get on board? Get in, on?
2: get in touch. Put the hand up. Say they're interested, and uh, and, and we'll. How do they do that? Uh, so best thing would probably be to contact Bondi Surf Club. Yep. At this point, we're we'll trying okay. to keep it as a club initiative um and they'll put them through to me and we'll have a chat about what they want to talk about um what was interesting actually was the there was a fair bit of enthusiasm so the intent as i said was to kind of give the lifesaver something valuable as an exposure for their project can be quite Mm. valuable right and um also set the tone that they should, in a, in a positive way, they should mention what the asks are for their project or their business so that the people in the audience know how to help them, right? So mm-hmm. if you're looking for introductions to a particular type of company or you're going to do a capital raise or mm-hmm. you're looking to recruit a new CTO, something like that, that's quite normal in startup circles. Um, it's not always normal for people who maybe aren't from that realm. They're not mm-hmm. familiar with it. Um, but it did give them a chance to kind of put that out there. And then sometimes people actually did make those connections. It was, it was quite helpful. And that's why we're really trying to keep it as as four lifesavers. Yep. And then, again, the fact that you're in the audience and it's a free event because it's not costing us anything really to put on. We've got some sponsors for snacks and and the coffee company is sort of helping out with the drinks. Um, so uh, it, it's just to try and give something back really to the community. So just get in touch. Let us know they're interested. And at the very least, we'll, we'll sneak in the back and you can see if there's uh, any useful conversations in there.
1: We didn't actually talk about – thank you for that, by the way, but we didn't it, – it just brings up a question we didn't actually ask you, uh, which is, what is your profession?
2: <laughs> ah, right. Yeah. Uh, it depends on when you ask. So um, – yeah, Well, currently – Currently. So currently – How do you see yourself? So currently I uh, – so I left the, the big insurance company end of last year, so yep. December, 30th December, I think, Um and realise that January, those not in Australia won't well, know that January is, of course, midsummer in Australia. Peak life-saving season, peak surfing and swimming season. Uh, Australia days in there. Nobody's it's basically, basically nothing gets really no, – not a lot of decisions get made in corporate Australia. So I sort of umming and ahhing about did I go back to corporate Australia and do something in that realm with sort of professional innovation in corporate or did I jump into doing startups well? I've always said that I couldn't go and do a startup because I didn't have my permanent residency. So I couldn't on a 457 skilled migrant visa go and do that. Uh, And that wasn't true anymore. So I was on my PR, sort of applying for my citizenship, waiting for that to be approved. And uh, so I jumped in to uh, help out with a bunch of startups. So one in particular, which is Nofo Coffee. Uh, That's my primary one that I'm really um, taking as my day job, I suppose, is is how you would think of it. And I've been mentoring quite a lot for various accelerator programs for the last few years. And so there are a couple of other startups that have asked me to help out as an advisor. So in a nutshell, I'm doing startup advisory and trying to help those companies grow and move forward to their next stage. And there's a fair few of them, but uh, about about two to three days a week, uh, it's the coffee company. And uh, Jordan, who's the co-founder, has, has given me very stern instructions. I am, in fact, a co-founder, <laughs> whereas I think he deserves all the credit, frankly, and I'm, I'm a helper. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it depends who you talk to.
1: Oh, that's good. We, mm. uh, we, we love a co-founder. <laughs> We've had that situation this week, haven't we? I don't, I, let's not go there.
0: Um, I'm always uh, fascinated by the definitions of how people become the vice president. or uh, yes. And the founder, co-founder thing uh, – Interesting one. I mean, wh- what's the definition of f- co-founders? Do you think
2: very good question. So, I think um, it's worth acknowledging at this moment. Hopefully, in the years to come, we'll, we'll look back on this podcast and uh, it'll be one of those moments where you know this is where the the coffee company kind of took yep. off and, and became this wonderful empire. Um, it's quite a mission driven startup, like Jordan. It really is Jordan's uh, brainchild and. Uh, he is the person who's put the hard work in. So to my eye, he is the founder mm. and uh, and everybody else is, is a helper. What really happened was um, a friend of mine was starting to advise around just getting the startup a bit done as an in incorporation and getting the website built and, you know, all those sort of things. Which when you've done them a couple of times, it's, it's pretty straightforward. But when you're doing it for the first time, a bit of help really does make mm. a difference. Mm. And, um, so he knew that I li- really liked supporting startups and it, and, and that is actually, I think significant and important, uh, part of whatever I do next, it has to be, uh, for, for reasons I'll come back to. Um, but we got chatting and we went for coffee and we went for coffee maybe once a month, but that became once a week. And then we were kind of chatting on the phone about different stuff as he was getting going. Um, he was doing it as a side job around his, um, his permanent role uh, he was a coffee salesman. So he's really the coffee expert and, um, he was basically creating a, a nitro coffee brand. And nitro coffee has been quite a big thing in the States for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, he made a really, really, really nice one. Like it's really good, um, really excellent quality product. And, and he's very committed to that. And um, there's a couple of other bits and bobs around it, which, which attracted me. basically Jordan's just a really good guy. And he deserves, I think, to do well in business. And I think he deserves people to help him out. And that's why I'm helping him out, really. Um, and we're just having an awful lot of fun growing the company. Uh, it's going really well and and it is taking off which is good and there are always things you'd like to do better or change but um it's just i think uh sort of last few years have taught me a couple of things one is really being choosy about who you work with uh if you possibly can if you have the choice make the choice make it a positive choice and make sure there are people that you know that when you're not around they're going to do the right thing and they're going to really embody the ethics and the morals of of um of you into the business as well and and with that group of people there are now four of us involved Um, i have no no qualms whatsoever they're really good people so and i think that carries through into the brand that carries through into how you treat customers that how that kind of carries through to um there's never been any question do we obey the law don't we obey the law you know do we pay people correctly and, and pay payroll taxes or not you know you never have to worry about that stuff getting done because people are just um on the same wavelength so super super important um, so yeah, we're having a great time. And uh, nitro coffee, the functional advantages and the reason that I'm a bit fired up about it, um, it's actually a vegan product in our case. So that means not that I'm a vegan, but a lot of people are. Mm. Um, and a lot of them are vegans for environmental reasons as well as ethical ones. But the environmental one, there's no milk in the coffee. Because it comes out under nitrogen, it looks like a draft Guinness or you know beer. And the infrastructure we use is the same as beer kegs and, and kegerators. And we put the kegerators into the offices and then we supply the coffee uh, every week on a subscription model. So basically when they drink a keg of nitro cold brew, then we bring mm-hmm. them another one. And we take the keg back and we wash it and refill it with coffee and take it back. So it's a much more sustainable model. The fact it's being made in the cafe by Jordan uh, to a very precise recipe indeed uh, means that it's a really, really nice product. And it tastes great. And so... The difference is, having worked in offices that have coffee machines, they'll either have a sort of instant coffee, which actually, funny enough, I personally don't mind so much. But now I'm, now I'm becoming a bit fussy. Now I'm exposed to really great stuff. Uh, and then they'll, that, or they'll have these little pods, or they'll have the, the sort of coffee barista machines like you see in cafes. And they've all got pros and cons. But um, usually when I talk to people and say, when's the last time that you made a coffee and it was so delicious that you had another one? Mm. Almost never, and especially in the office environment, that's almost never true. Whereas with ours, when we put the machines in, people will very often pour a coffee, like it so much, they'll have another one right. immediately. And so we've really got sort of three major product lines at the moment. The the long black, which is the sort of basic coffee, and it's, it's chilled, it sits in a fridge. Mm. Um, the mocha, which is my personal favorite, which is absolutely delicious. Um, and uh, a kombucha. Oh. And they will come out under nitrogen, which means there's no need for milk. But I have seen people, uh, as I've sat in the office and worked with one of those machines nearby, I have seen people turn up with a mug, pour themselves a no Nofo coffee, go and microwave it, put a splash of milk in there. And, I, and the first couple of times I saw this, I just thought, oh, well, they're just experimenting and, you know, figuring out well, how they like it. And uh, by the time I saw it the third time with the same bloke, I, I kind of went over and said hello and asked, you know, what was going on. And uh, he said to him, it tasted like a flat white but he was only having a tiny splash of milk in it, which meant that, of course, he was saving all the calories and it was much better for him, which is true. Yeah, it's true. So, uh, yeah,
0: funny how it goes. So just to go back finally before we finish up Mm. um, to life-saving, have you ever had to do any rescues? Yes. Like major rescues?
2: Major rescue, well, every rescue is exciting when you're doing them. Yeah, so don't. so it's an interesting one, right? Um, when I was a little younger and sort of more down by the the water's edge, uh, then I would do more rescues. But the club's ethos has actually changed about how we patrol, even in the time I've been involved. So when I was first involved, the emphasis was much more on speed out to, to get people and, and doing technically excellent rescue and and so sort of either board or tube or whatever most of my rescues actually have been tubes um as it happens we're rescue tubes which means they're not supposed to be very far off the beach but it's a lot easier to go through potentially quite big surf because you can duck under waves and stuff like that and get to someone and keep them afloat um and then we've sort of ended up being swept out quite a long way and swimming home with them which again <laughs> you're not really supposed to do because a rescue boat should come and get you sort of thing but uh, sometimes it all kind of goes a little wrong and you have to kind of roll with it um <laughs> So no, I've done a fair few, Um, since I've become patrol captain, I've been in the tent a lot more, Um, and I have to say that my patrol, like I said, I'm I'm not just being nice because they might hear it sort of thing, but they really are a very capable Mm. bunch, and um, we try very hard these days to put the emphasis much more on prevention and education, and try and stop people getting into trouble in the first place. And so we are actually experimenting kind of all the time with how we patrol the beach, which... Uh, probably makes sense given that I'm an engineering person with a a consulting background that I start trying to optimize the system and improve the outcomes. And the outcomes in this case are minimum number of rescues, so zero casualties and and injuries, minimum number of rescues, maximizing prevention. So I would much rather that my patrol were talking to people all the time Mm. uh, and didn't do a single rescue on a patrol. It's not as satisfying, it's not as exciting for those who are sort of into the adrenaline bit of it, and that is absolutely fine by me. Uh, and that's a different ethos. I think when you go and talk to different clubs, they might have a slightly different view. Sometimes people get past you and they jump in a rip and you just, you can't get there in time and, and you've got to go out and do a mm, rescue. Mm. Um, that will always happen or, or situations can emerge as in someone could be surfing and hit by another board and you've got to go get them sort of thing. Um, That will always happen, but what we do try and do at Bondi where there are very large numbers of tourists, like tens of thousands on peak days, and the surf can be quite powerful, so we try and make sure we stop them getting into trouble in the first place. Um, So the ethos is is swinging much more to that prevention for public safety. So without
1: without a doubt, then, most of the rescues uh, involve tourists. Is that what you're saying?
2: In my case, yes. Uh, I have done water safety for races uh, where conditions have sort of switched and you've had to do quite a lot of of rescues in quite quick succession, but usually it's tourists. Generally not Australians. Oh, no, there's a mixture. There's a mixture. Uh, I would say... On average, tourists flying into Australia, as you were saying before, don't yep. necessarily have any beach culture where they've come from, and they yep. may not have very much experience in the surf. Um, Australians should know better yep. from childhood education programs at school and things. Um, but the the ability to just be in the wrong place at the wrong time, get hit by a rogue wave, that kind of stuff, that doesn't matter where you're from. That can happen to you. Um, yeah, in general, in my experience, people are it, it's a real mixture, and people are pretty good as long as you're nice to them. Then they're normally pretty compliant. And, and recent experience, we've switched up how we patrol a little bit. We've put another um, sort of station when we patrol at ramp one on the beach, which is way at the south end of the beach. So when people roll off the bus and <laughs> come straight onto the sand, um, because we sort of observed there were a couple, unfortunately, of drownings out of hours at the south end. And we were kind of thinking through what could we do to shake up the system and try and change how we patrolled. And we kind of identified that people were coming down the hill, hopping off the bus and going straight onto the beach there. And that's also the rougher end of the beach. There's also weather um, because it faces more east uh, out to the Pacific. And, and the rips are much stronger, as you guys know. And so, in effect, you had more people going in to the most dangerous area. So we always patrol that area when we're on patrol anyway. But what we've started to do is try and catch people when they come through that bottleneck at the top of the ramp, so almost before the beach, and talk to them. And so last time I went and, and did that station uh, of 20 people, one guy was pretty rude. Unfortunately, that does happen. Uh, five of them—this was of the twenty who came through that weren't carrying a surfboard. Five of them were uh, basically locals who knew what they were up to, uh, or Aussies who knew what they were up to. And then I said, "Are you going for a swim?" And they said, "Yeah, we're going to the flag, sort of thing." Uh, and then the other fifteen were tourists that day, um, or people from out of town, or, or people from inland Australia, um, and they didn't know about swinging the flags at all, and they didn't know about the rips and any of the stuff. So. Um, they really did sort of scamper off to the swimming area and they were very happy about that and they were very nice. So, you know, I think that's a pretty good ratio 19 to 1, uh, mm. happy versus uh, not so impressed, yeah. and, uh, and 19 saves that we didn't have to do, which is great.
1: I can't imagine what that, uh, what that bloke who wasn't impressed. Uh, <laughs> I can't imagine what he wasn't impressed well,
2: about. Well, who knows? Maybe he was having a bad day. No, who so. knows? Maybe he needed his no food coffee. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How's that for a plug? <laughs>
0: It's quite timely, actually. Yeah. <laughs> J- James, thanks for coming in today. It's um, thank
2: you, James. Yeah, enjoy Have you got any
1: more questions? No, no, no not at all. That's good. What's your favourite song, James?
2: Favourite song? Yeah. yeah. Oh man, that's tough. Yeah. We, How can you choose one song? Oh, like... that's true. We often oh, finish. What, we finish with the what song. What speaks
1: then? to you, James?
2: What speaks to me? Let's think. Favourite song? Well, let's let's put it this way. I'm a big fan of the Eurovision Song Contest. No, no. Oh, you yes. Are, really? oh yes, and there are many songs that hold a dear place in my heart um, from all those Swedish folk contest- songs. Sorry,
0: all those Swedish folk folk songs.
2: <laughs> Maybe,
0: possibly. <laughs> okay, so you've obviously got one in mind. Yes,
2: yes. I think I think I'll, uh, for the sake of for the sake of being brief, I'll say Gina G, uh, her entry into the Eurovision Song Contest. Special place in my heart. I what,
0: remember watching her What year her on was that?
2: Oh God, uh, late nineties, I guess. Okay. So a while back, I remember watching it as a kid. We'd always sit around and watch it. So we still have a Eurovision party every year, my my friends and I. And yeah, it's always good Gifley fun. Yeah, okay, it's
0: well that's what's going to have to be.
2: Thanks for <laughs> Thank coming you, in, James. James. All right. Thank you. Thanks.